0: Hey, everyone. Uh, today, we have our very first sponsor of the Primary Care Podcast. Uh, very excited. Oh, The podcast is exploding. Uh, we've got a, actually a corporate sponsor. So uh, let's get into it right now. Let me read the ad. Ah, 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 ah. Have you ever wanted to treat a medical condition without actually treating the actual problem? Do you also want to smell horrible at the same time? Well, do I have the product for you? Eileen's Essential Oils brings you nothing but the best quality, non-GMO, organic, gluten-free, all-natural, free-range, ketogenic essential oils from imaginary, non-kill, humanitarian essential oil farms from around the globe. Have you ever had a migraine, but you didn't really want to take an actual effective medicine for it, but at the same time you wished everyone around you knew the misery you were experiencing? Well, you're in luck today. Eileen's Essential Oils gives you the best of both worlds, combining a proven, ineffective placebo with the temporary superpower of causing migraines in everyone within olfactory range of you. Why win-win when you can win-lose, win only for you and your mid-level marketing sales rep on Facebook. Uh, Thanks again, Essential Oils, for sponsoring the Primary Care Pod. Now on to today's episode. The Primary Care Podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast, produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because there's a pretty good chance you're already behind schedule. And welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Today, we're going to be talking about a very good, important topic, and that is HPV vaccinations. So let's do a quick review. What does HPV protect against? Uh, well, the high-risk serotypes are uh, serotype 6, 11, 16, and 18. Those combine for 70% of cervical cancers and 90% of anogenital warts. Uh, In addition, we have types 31, 33, 45, 52, 58, which add an additional 20% of cervical cancers. So basically with the vaccination, we can protect against 90% of cervical cancers, 90% of anal cancers, and a very large chunk of oral pharyngeal cancers, oral vulvar cancers, vaginal cancers, and penile cancers. So obviously this vaccination does a lot of good. We all know that. Let's skip to the details. HP vaccination is recommended at 11 to 12 years of age. It can be started as long as as early as 9 years of age. In my practice, I never vaccinate anybody before 11 because that's when they come in for their middle school shots. So it's just easier uh, for adolescents and adults age 13 to 26 who have not been previously vaccinated. Uh, Catch up vaccination is recommended if you start before age 15. It's a two it's a two-shot series after age 15's three-shot series. Okay, so none of that's controversial. We all know that. Okay, uh, we can move on. For a- adults age 27 and older, here's the part where it gets a little fishy. Um, it's not that HP vaccination doesn't work after age 27. That- that's not the point of this. It really, though, it's a, it's a uh, shared decision-making between the provider and the patient. And, and why is that? Well, we assume that most 27-year-olds have been exposed to HPV before. And it's not that an HPV exposure or even an infection with HPV or an abnormal pap or anything like that, none of those are contraindicated to get an HPV vaccination. It's just that it doesn't work as well. None of the HPV vaccinations in existence have ever been proven to aid in clearance of existing HPV. Uh, It's never been uh, shown to uh, reverse the trends of what HPV damage has already been done. So in a sense, if your patient has never been exposed to HPV or uh, is negative for HPV, the vaccination is probably just as effective at age 27 as it was at age 11. But the entire point of the vaccination and the optimal timing is to get them vaccinated before their first sexual activity. Big side effect of the vaccination, of course, is the concern for syncope following the vaccination. So, you know, that's the that's the biggest uh, hurdle that we see, at least in my clinic, is making sure the patient waits 15 minutes afterwards in a sitting or supine position. Um, is there any value in post-vaccination serologies? Uh, the answer right now is no. Uh, most people uptake the HP vaccination uh, pretty well. There is... Uh, the data so far, according to the CDC, says that it la- lasts at least 10 years. Uh, further testing still ongoing, uh, but that's at least according to the CDC website at this point. Um, I think that it'll be interesting to see how long-lasting the HPV vaccine will Last for. Uh, Obviously, 10 years is good. That gets them, that gets most kids through uh, at least usually their first sexual activity experiences, Um, but hopefully it lasts a lot longer than that. Again, the data is lacking in that regard right now. So, what about women or men who have a history of gender warts? They have a positive HPV test. Uh, Females with abnormal cervical, vaginal vulvar cancer, uh, men or women with anal cytology, that all indicate a prior HPV infection. Now, it's not necessarily going to be the same HPV type included in the vaccination. Uh, In fact, it probably is only one of the strains, not multiple of the strains. So in those people, vaccination is still recommended to protect against HPV infections and disease burden with the other serotypes. So very important to keep in mind, it's never wrong to vaccinate. Uh, It's just limited benefit over the age of 27 because we assume most men and women have had sexual activity. But then again, even if they have, uh, there's still some value in either considering testing for their serology to see if they are positive uh, for HPV or uh, if they have not had sexual encounters or even if they have it's probably never wrong to vaccinate. That's just, it's less effective according to the likelihood that they've already been exposed. We briefly touched on the syncope side effect, uh, other side effects. Uh, Gardasil 9, the one that we commonly use, actually has a, uh, a high frequency of mild local site reactions, um, a little bit higher than a lot of other vaccinations we see. Um, obviously, there's, there's local site reactions, um, but then also systemic side effects like headache, fever, nausea, dizziness, pretty similar. Um, but serious events obviously occur in less than 0.1%. So that number is very important when we talk about uh, 99.9% of girls and boys that get Gardasil are not going to have a serious adverse reaction aside from a local site redness or swelling. So we're protecting against an STD, so that means we're encouraging sexual activity in our young girls and boys, right? Uh, The studies say no. There is, in fact, four different studies out there right now that currently state that there is no association between vaccination and increased risky sexual behavior. Uh, This has been pretty clearly debunked now. We're talking ends in the multiple thousand uh, of studying the behavioral impact of the HP vaccination, and so all the fears and concerns about well, are we encouraging uh, increased sexual activity or increasing sexual risky behaviors because we've taken away an STD? Uh, I think we can clearly educate parents that that has not happened and the science has proven it. I think most kids don't even understand at age 11 and 12 that the HPV vaccination, especially when we frame it in the, in the context of this is a cancer-preventing vaccination. Uh, I don't think anybody has ever decided to have sex or not to have sex because they may or may not get HPV in the history of mankind. So uh, I think the behavioral impact uh, has been thoroughly debunked. Okay, so what does the science say about the effectiveness? All right, so we have two large, randomized, double-blind, Control trials comparing the quadrivalent HBV vaccine with placebo with 17,000 females aged 15 to 26. And I have to say, the fact that there are double blinded, placebo controlled, randomized control trials with a vaccination is incredible. Uh, the fact that we know that vaccination works, the fact that we know it decreases disease burdens. The fact that you can get that approved uh, in, in in nowadays, uh, you know, vaccine skeptics all want these randomized control trials to be done. You try to get a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial in a vaccination approved. Good luck. Uh, you're withholding life life-saving treatment uh, from kids. So the fact that we have this is pretty amazing. Um, these two different studies, again, the n was uh, greater than seventeen thousand. After three years, the efficacy of the HP vaccination for preventing CIN2 or more severe disease due to HPV vaccination types was 97 to 100% effective among HPV-naive populations. And in all the general population, even those who had HPV or their HPV status was unknown, it was about 44% in the overall population. Now, The 9-valent HPV vaccination, that was for the quad-valent, the 9-valent, which ones we use a lot more, does have a a very large international randomized control trial, 14,000 females aged 16 to 26. Uh, Efficacy of the 9-valent vaccination was 97% among HPV-naive populations. Now, those are all old studies. Those were all studies in around 2007 when we were starting to come out with the vaccination. Uh, But here's the more recent data that's pretty exciting. Let's take a look at the Journal of Pediatrics, February 2019. We're going to slow and break this one down because you guys have probably heard all the other stuff. I sped through all the background information to get to this stuff. Uh, You may or may not have read this study, February 2019. HPV uh, vaccination effectiveness and herd protection in young women. So this study took a look at 1,600 females aged 13 to 26 and followed them for 11 years, 2006 to 2017. During this window, vaccination rates were about 84%, at least getting one dose. So that's not even getting both dose of vaccine, but that's at least 84% of this this female population got at least one dose of the vaccination. HPV infections with the four high-risk strains dropped 81% in vaccinated women. Again, this was not a, uh, this was not, uh, everyone did not complete the vaccine series, but at least getting one dose of vaccination, uh, the entire population decreased 81% relative risk. Interestingly, there was a 40% reduction in HPV rates in unvaccinated women too. Now this was a, Study in Cincinnati. So there were probably vaccinations going on in the rest of the community as well at this time. This was not like a third world country that only had limited access to vaccines. So what's really important here is that we can see that dropping the overall HPV infections in the community resulted in a direct reduction in HPV rates even in the unvaccinated women, okay? So the important thing to notice is HPV, and the big takeaway, I think, from some of these studies is that unlike diseases like measles, where it is so highly contagious, uh, the airborne nature and the, uh, the, the highly contagious nature makes it so you need to have at least 90 to 95% of the entire population vaccinated and immune against measles to protect against the people who didn't either uh, get the vaccination or whose vaccination didn't take with their immune system but we don't normally see herd immunity at 84%. But in this case, 84% and not even like a complete, completing your series 84%, at least getting one dose of the vaccine at 84%, had a statistically significant relative risk reduction in unvaccinated women too. similar types of uh, less contagious diseases, for example, polio is less contagious. You see herd immunity at 80, 85%, uh, 80 to 85 percent, sorry. That's pretty good. Uh, so we know why, right? Because it's sexually transmitted. So your ability to get HPV is really limited to the amount of vectors you're exposed to. So versus an airborne or droplet disease, reducing any significant percent of disease burden taking those vectors out of the community is going to help the entire community, even the unvaccinated. So I think that the take-home story as a primary care provider of all of these studies and the benefits of this HB vaccination is, if you can get any chunk of your population, of your patient population, to vaccinate, you are making a disease burden impact on the entire community, even the non-vaccinating patients. So uh, never give up. uh, Never stop trying to push it because any small impact you make benefits the community at large. All right. We're going to look at the second study today, which I think is more important for primary care. We all know that the vaccinations work. That's not a surprise. Nothing I've said in the first 12 minutes of this podcast is a surprise to anybody. So this study in American Journal of Pediatrics, again, same, same, same timeline, 2019, looked at different communication strategies for parents about getting the vaccination for their children. The parents watched different videos on different topics. These videos were presented uh, in order to educate them. And then the parents were asked about how much confidence they had in this message and the motivation that this message gave them in order to get the vaccine after the message. So what were the three highest ranking messages that we can give to parents to get them to vaccinate their children? Number one, focusing on the fact that this is a cancer-preventing immunization. You know, talking about the genital warts, talking about the STDs doesn't make sense for most parents, but talking that this prevents cancer, super important. Uh, Number two, talking to parents that this is vaccination for both boys and girls when it's about just only girls getting the vaccination, a little bit more skepticism when it's uh, talking about it's being important for both boys and girls, parents are more likely to get their children vaccinated. Uh, And three, I talked earlier about knowing the safety profile uh, because the third most important topic for parents is talking about the safety and possible side effects versus the benefits. The fact that local site reaction and a little bit of dizziness uh, directly after the injection are the big side effects. There's less than a 0.1% chance of any serious side effect uh, versus the benefits of literally preventing cancer. Uh, Super duper duper important. Now, uh, what are the harmful messages that actually turn patients and sorry turn parents off from getting the vaccination? Number one, stressing the urgency in getting vaccinated. That message actually makes parents less likely to vaccinate their children at that appointment. So if the parent is unsure, educate, 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 have them come back in, call them, bring them back in next year for a well child check and discuss it again. Do not stress that they have to get it today, especially if we're talking about an 11 year old. uh, It's more important that the child gets vaccinated than they get it at 11. Okay. Number two, don't use personal pronouns. Saying things like, in my clinic, in my practice, we can prevent, your child, things like that are very negative correlation with confidence and motivation, keeping it neutral, keeping it scientific. Studies show that both girls and boys benefit from this vaccination as it prevents cancer and the spread of HPV. All children benefit from this vaccination. As a healthcare provider, the research shows that this is an effective and safe vaccination. Those are a lot more uh, statements to use instead of using personal pronouns. Uh, So try to keep it neutral. And number three, don't talk about school vaccination requirements. Uh, No one cares at all. And telling the parents that, well, HPV is not required for school, has a uh, decreases the confidence and decreases the motivation to get it. So again, just don't talk about the school vaccination requirements unless parents ask. Just keep it neutral. Talk about how you recommend these. Uh, and don't get into the weeds about the school vaccinations. Uh, again, the people that don't wanna get the vaccinations already know that those exemptions exist. So go forth fellow primary care practitioners, vaccinate every child that you can for HPV, prevent the disease burden, prevent cervical cancer, prevent anal genital cancers, and and go forward knowing that any child that you vaccinate, you're making an impact not only on that child, but also in the community at large. Uh, make sure that you're talking about the right things and stop talking about the wrong things. In full confidence, knowing that the science is on your side. So how'd we do today? Enjoy what you're listening to? Any suggestions on topics for the podcast or recommendations of articles? Please send them to me at primarycarepod at gmail.com. That's all one word, primarycarepod at gmail.com. We'll also take any comments, questions, or concerns about the episode. If you want me to read your comment or question on the next episode, I can certainly throw them in. Please include whether you want to that comment or question to be anonymous or credited with your name. And so we'll wrap up another episode saying thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. This has been Dr. Mark List reminding you, you don't need to stay up all night to stay up to date. Thanks and have a great day.